everybody, welcome back to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. It's been a long time since I've done one of these, but hey, we're talking about Rivals, we're talking about uh, Chris Sarandon, and hang on for the back end and I'll talk some more about it. Alright. Tombstone Clerks and Philadelphia were in the theaters. Oh yeah, people listened to Tony Braxton Arrested Development and Snoop Dogg, oh yeah and on TV Prince Humperdinck goaded people into playing racquetball for a minute. Oh yeah, it's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello and welcome to the rules of acquisition, the podcast where we're talking about Deep Space Nine, Star Trek, that is. <laughs> You've heard me say all this before. We're talking about the greatest TV show of ever, of yeah, I'm, I need to find something else to say because I'm running out of things to say how great it is. It's magnificent. Um, a show worthy is, of a podcast. <laughs> yes, of two or three inferior podcasts, and this the better. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> You're shit talking other people's podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's like wait, I don't want to do that. My name is Wade Bowen. Uh, with me is James Nolan. Hello, and Hugh Crawford. Hello, and. We're talking about Dr. Julian Bashir, or well, and Quark, and a whole other cast of characters in an episode titled Rivals. Uh, yes, ta- that's right. We're, we're talking about a shirtless O'Brien, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about we are finally in 1994. This aired what? January 2nd, 1994. Rivals. It's the 11th episode of season two, and the IMDb description is as follows. Quark meets his match when a new rival opens a casino opposite Quark's bar on the promenade. Meanwhile, the station is suffering issues of high improbability. Oh boy, that's that's one way to put it. Uh, that first, the first day, the A plot there, the Quark meets his rival. That like an as far as an elevator pitch for this show goes, um, it's a unique. Like you can't have the, that pitch for another Star Trek. You know, this is a unique to Deep Space Nine. No slush pile here. You're going to get all killer, no filler content. But that's not the case, is it? This was a slush pile script. No way. <laughs> yes, it was. Wait, like, who was the quirk? The, uh, was it like when Guinan has it? You know, Guinan's real cutthroat. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, I got a lot to say about Guinan in this. A uh, surprising amount to oh, say about really? Guinan in this episode. Yeah. So, was it Guinan's script? Uh, I, maybe. No, I think it was just about they find an ancient luck device that changes the probability. It was probably uh, okay. it was completely reworked by uh, Michael Piller. He had been working it for a year before he brought it to the room. Piller? Yeah. Hmm. After off of a slush script. So yeah. Oh, it was originally heavily to feature the butterfly effect. <laughs> well, I guess what I meant yeah, by slush pile pile move? No, it's is late. that it it wasn't meant for for it wasn't meant for another Star Trek. It wasn't meant for for it next wasn't generation. Slush pile for uh, next generation, and then they just transferred it over. I think it yeah, might have been, but you're right. Okay, it's I, no, no. That's what I'm saying. It, it I don't. It could have easily started that way, but the fact that Quark is yeah. the central mm-hmm. figure makes it uniquely DS9. Sure, it is clearly problematic on a lot of different storytelling levels. Uh-huh. Um, one of the main problems i i have with it is that we don't see cisco until like minute 25 yes and then every time he's on the screen hate whatever <laughs> you know, they're saying i i i had this i'm gonna i'm gonna have 
say something weird. Wait, you you like this episode? I kind of liked it. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Okay. <laughs> the luck, the luck device does sound like a shitty slush pile script from a season one or two Next Generation episode where they're like. We can't have conflict with the characters. What can? What kind of dumb shit can we make up? Okay, that plot device is kind of dumb. I will agree. But the Julian yeah. O'Brien stuff, yeah, I that's liked. not. That's the saving grace. That that's because we finally get something with Julian. This is the first. This is the most characterization, the best characterization that we've had for Julian the whole time. This is the first time he's actually, dare I say it, likable. <laughs> there's some char- There's some important character math that goes on. For You know, O'Brien would get under my skin because all he does is grouse about stuff and just kind of like grimace. And Julian, we've talked about at length on this show, he's just an insufferable bastard. But when you put them together, it's a strange alchemy that seems to work. It's like your hatred for Bashir is only intensified, magnified through the character of O'Brien. And that makes O'Brien's disposition somehow they're the, justified. So he's incredibly, he's incredibly watched. They're the mango habanero sauce of the show, where you take two things that are... What, yeah, yeah. This, mangoes are too sweet and habaneros are too hot. You mix them together. <laughs> pretty damn amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the A-plot... Is the quirk stuff with yeah, Marcus Mazar or yeah. whatever? It's a dumb kind of concept. But the, then the B plot is Julian and O'Brien playing racquetball, which space racquetball, space racquetball. They never actually name no, it. No, they call it racquetball. They call Do it they racquetball. Oh, really? I think oh, okay. that it's supposed they, to be like this is just how the game evolves. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's right. Fair yeah. enough. And it's got some delightfully nineties, almost like late 80s attire for Julian and Neon. Uh, Julian does not room. get out of his onesie, uh, his racquetball onesie, this entire episode. So, yeah. Okay, so my thing with Julian is that one of the things, and I don't think they did it, I think it's all accident, but I think it's a masterful reboot of Julian Bashir's character. Like a classic comic book reboot, where you take a character, well, what do we like? He, what do, What's he like? He's an asshole. He's grumbly, he's selfish, he's He's egotistical. So they show him doing this ridiculous, like, pre-game warm-up that looks so <laughs> fucking candy-ass and stupid. And you mix him with, like, you know, the only... <laughs> it's a 5,000-year-old yeah. uh, thing. From- yeah, and you, you mix him with the only real person in the show, like O'Brien. You know, a guy with a wife and a kid and works in, like, you know, he's a mechanic. And you so he's having to watch this, and we're watching it through his eyes. And then slowly it shows Bashir is all of those things, but also, you know, there is an honor to it and a dignity. He will do the right thing. His instincts, it's just he's got a great personality, but the core of the man is is pretty good. And that's shown right, right, and highlight right. to O'Brien. And in this interesting story where they, you know, the young whippersnapper and the man passed his prime, that's... That's a trope you can work with, you know? and Right. And it starts his excellence. You know, we assume that he's great because everybody on Star Trek is always the best at their job. But we haven't actually seen that from Julian. Like, no. He, he, bred, he bred a clone by accident and it was like, you know, he talks shit. And then it was like, okay, whatever. I was reading up on Julian this week. His whole character, are, according to him and according to Berman, they meant for him to be dislikable the whole time. Which sounds a little bit like uh, rose-colored yeah. glasses, a little bit looking backwards. Yeah. But 
at this point, it, just so they can say they did a good job. Some justification after right, the right. fact, maybe. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. And he says that he that he wasn't actually likable till an episode later on. I won't talk about called Our Man yeah. Bashir, and that's yeah. a big turning point. Even Garrick talks about that episode as one of his favorites, Andrew yeah. Robinson. But whatever, that's further down. But even this one, it already sets the case that he is insufferable and he's whatever. But I don't know. I, I kind of found them likable a little. No, I did too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then I'm definitely odd the, man the out here because I still like, can't, can't stand him. <laughs> Wait, <in> okay. <laughs> I know. I feel like somebody should stick up for him because a lot of people like yeah. him. Well, and- apparently he is a sex pot because uh, like someone, I think I was reading that uh, – Robert Wolf made a reference that people kept sending in like quotes about wanting to see more pictures. They wanted Julian to be in his jumper more often on the show, which I don't know if that was a particularly sexy. Jumper. Oh, after this like, episode, I don't, really, I, don't, I, I don't think they were right that they no, want to see more of shirtless Brian. He looks like he needs to eat a sandwich. Also, he does not look like he doesn't look healthy. Are you guys. talking to me or to the women who wrote those letters? <laughs> I'm not saying he's sexy. He doesn't look. He looks malnourished. I don't want to see him in that. Well, thing. also apparently, because there's a lot of letters get, that got yeah. written because Star Trek fans, and it's pre-internet. He was on the chopping block for the yeah. first like three years of the show. He's the but, kiss of the show, right? Right. Like this. Like they they would do these polls of people's least favorite character, and it was always Bashir. And the studio people wanted to get rid of him, but Berman stood up for him, and then that's part of what Berman's kind of talk about like oh no i i'm doing we're running it as an experiment this character to make him unlikable and it's actually an interesting concept that they would decide to make him unlikable as an experiment it feels like a little bit too like hindsight but at the same time if talking about the show as a precursor to the golden age of tv and everything where it's all anti it's like oh we're gonna have an unlikable character it's still priest tony soprano they haven't figured out how to make anti-heroes likable. They're just they they just decided we're going to make them unlikable. Not we're gonna, interesting to watch, not necessarily likable, but just interesting to watch. Right. We're not going to make him an anti-hero. We're just going to make him unlikable and then turn him around. But that's the like, worst you of know, both. Several seasons. But that's down. the worst of both worlds. Yeah. I because know. if if you were, if you were what you have is a likable character who does bad things. Like uh, Michael Chiklis on the Shield or something, like where you're like, I like this guy, but he's he does awful things, so I'm conflicted. What they've done is the opposite of that. Made someone who's just fucking awful, but he doesn't do anything. Right. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. It's a failed yeah. experiment, but as a as a experiment to figure out how to do how we get to the TV that we like now, it's an interesting failure, I say. It is an interesting failure when you look at it in that context because when we look at the despicable characters on TV, Don Draper and Tony Soprano yeah. are probably Walter the two White. biggest, yeah, I guess, White. well, and Heisenberg. You know, yeah, Walter yeah. White. So you take those three, the Holy Trinity, they all have one thing in common that Bashir does not have. They're all really yeah. fucking good at their jobs. They're really, really good at what they do. And, that's and they have that by being commented right. on by other people. Like, they could have had that with Bashir. Right. Like, if, if Cisco said, if it was Cisco, it's like, I can't, if Cisco said, I can't stand the man, but he's the best damn doctor in Starfleet and I can't give him up. Like, then you, right, you look right. at him different. I would no. look at him as an, as an audience member. I would look at him different. Yeah, it's just assumed greatness because he's one of the leads on yes. a Star Trek show. But it's like, we don't know right. that he's yeah. any good. But so I think he was a really hated character. 
for a really long time, and it's not, but no. it's not the actor's fault. No, like it's yeah, clearly yeah, he's the a writer's actor. fault. Yeah, yeah, it's clear. It, but it's it's the writer, like the they need to look at the, in the mirror a little bit if they're like, we've got this unlikable character, and I think that's kind of what we're trying, what we're seeing right now is them trying mm-hmm. to like right the ship with this, yeah, yeah, horrible situation. But they've had a Star Trek Doctor for almost two full seasons, not really do much yeah. Star Trek doctoring. You right. know, and he uh, doesn't really in this one either. But like, no. do we need to back up and talk about the uh, a plot? I suppose. I guess. I mean, oh, wait, wait. We, while we, we're on this, while we're on this, let me. Hugh, me and Wade both found it a little chart. Like the Bashir was a little bit righted in this episode, and you don't think so? Why? Like, just you feel like it's more of the same, or the? Oh, I have a well. I guess I just because this this Bashir could still exist on the same plane as his previous mm-hmm. characterization. It doesn't change anything, really. I mean, it's just now we're not seeing him. He's yeah. still not hound dog. They called that off. Like yeah. women. I mean, he's still he could he could easily just switch from hound dogging to you know letting O'Brien win at racquetball. It doesn't fundamentally change anything. About well, him. it's if, just if, showing a different side of him, I guess. If he were, I was going to wait to get to this, but the thing that really made me like, okay, I think I might like him now. It's like he's kind of brash and overbearing, and he's showing off. But then it, after that one scene where uh, it's after O'Brien goes home to Keiko and he's bitching about what an asshole Julian is, and then they have the next scene with Julian and Dax where he's complaining about O'Brien, which I thought was great. Yeah, and he's like, I thought he was going to die. Like, oh, <laughs> I I thought he was going to die. And, you know, and they they set it up well, like. O'Brien, Keiko's like, O'Brien's like, and he's talking shit about me right now. And Keiko's like, no, he's not. And then, and then they cut the quirks and Julian's like, I thought he was going to die. Oh my God. But then at the same, but then later on in that scene, he's like, I don't want to humiliate the guy. I just want to get out of this. But now he's, he won't let me because he's so, his pride or whatever. It's like, that's when I, that's when I decided I like. Okay. I mean, I, I see, I see where you're coming from. But I just all I sort of hated right off the bat. I sort of hated the racquetball and space <laughs> stuff anyway. Fair enough. Okay, that I so get. I was behind it behind the eight ball. If we were looking at some other sort of situation where we didn't have metal rackets and we didn't, if it was the dartboard, no, I think actually the dartboard yeah is better than the racquetball <laughs> space racquetball. Because here's my problem. There's a racket in the dartboard theme later on. <laughs> they play darts later. Sorry. Yeah, later. Later yeah. they scrap this bullshit and, <laughs> and they uh, realize how probably because Palomini really did pull a hamstring or something, mm-hmm. and then it was like, let's just have him play darts. <laughs> but no, in the 1960s, we're gonna do something futuristic. Gene Roddenberry's like, I got it. We're gonna have chess in the future, but it's just gonna be three different chess boards stacked on top of each other. Cool. It's that's it. We're they're going to buy it. They're going to eat that shit up with a spoon. And you know what? To a certain degree, the audience did like that. I mean, they actually produced those chess yeah, boards. You can still buy them. Made up rules for it. Yeah, you could still buy it. Yeah. So here they are 30 years later, almost 30 years later, and they're still thinking like, ah, okay, let's uh, – it's the future. So let's just uh, tack on a couple of, you know, uh, ramps on the side, right? Ramps. <laughs> yeah, with, and, some, uh, some, with some – And give them some... – Give them metal rackets. Yeah. So it's like I hate I hate that as a what was once innovative is now a trope kind of situation. Mm-hmm. No, Does that I, make sense? I get it. Yeah, and yeah. they do that. They, 
in this show, there's another theme of that, which is baseball, where the you know that that Cisco oh, and his yeah. son go and play baseball yeah. on the holiday, which begs the question. Why couldn't O'Brien just play racquetball in the holodeck? But <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I thought well, at first it was he, that it was in the holodeck, like it was a programming bill. Yeah. But no, it turns out it's the courts. And then later, Cork asked where they were playing, and he says, "It's the courts, of course, you dummy." He's like, "Does everybody know about this?" I thought if everybody anybody else knew, you'd think that O'Brien would have somebody else to play with. You, you don't want to pick a ball that's off a floor that the Grand Nagus's balls, <laughs> his own real balls, have dragged. No amount of space. It's like you don't want to, right. So you don't want to. You don't want to play racquetball in a holodeck yeah. on Deep Space Nine. You <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No, okay. So, but no, yeah, I I don't know. I like the idea of them doing something physical and kind of bro-ish. Yeah, it's funny to me that baseball died out. But racquetball oh, really took off. <laughs> baseball died 100 years ago, but racquetball, they've got old-style rules and new-style rules. With It actually makes sense, though, when you think about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that can be played in a confined space, like, you know, and you have new rules because it's being played in space. That's true, yeah. yeah. Right. And it's, a, you know, closer quarters. You'd have to ramp up, right? I mean, they haven't make... had holodecks very long, uh, very long compared to what cramped spaces they could fit a racquetball court mm-hmm. into. Maybe I, I believe a racquetball court. If you're going to have gravity plating and where you, you know, gravity is could be normal. I, I believe that a racquetball. Could yeah, play I could see racquetball on the original series. I couldn't see them playing baseball oh, totally. on the Enterprise. Yeah. So okay, so are we ready to to All talk right, about so... this this a plot? <sighs> All right, I guess we should get it. Holy shit, we spent a lot of time on racquetball. Dude, dude that's the only right. thing that really comes from this episode, so I think we've spent it wisely. <laughs> yeah, like we're 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 trying to talk about the fun stuff, yeah. and now now we got to eat our vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it starts up with a character we don't know talking to a woman we don't know who is obvious, and he's you obviously say we don't know him, but he's Prince Humperdinck. <laughs> Like, he's, he's an Oscar-nominated yeah. actor. So, like, well, I, you know, like, he's somewhat noteworthy. But, yeah. So, mm-hmm. it, it's weird that just start off with Prince Upperdink in this show. We don't know him in the context exactly, of DS9. Exactly. So, he's talking to a widow who, I mean, spoilers for the next, the end of this episode. I mean, it's painfully obvious that she's scamming the scammer, right? Well... Yeah, yeah. Like from the opening scene, like she's talking. She's a widow with a mining concern yeah. that she needs money for. It's like, and he's he's clearly a grifter, take, going after widows. And then Odo comes in and takes him to the brig for some other deal that he scamming, did. Yeah, scamming someone previous. Yeah, but she's got some other deal. Yeah. That he so did, do yeah. we need to talk about the Vlutkin asteroid belt and no. everything? No. Okay. No. Thank. Okay. Thank. Yeah. And her father. I think we should talk about him, hit the species, and yeah, what the Elarians. Elarians are good listeners, and everybody refers to them as listeners. We, so does that mean there are species? Well, of wait, no, no, no. We know an Elarian. <laughs> we know two Elarians. But at this point, we didn't know. This is the first time that the word Elarian is ever used. He was written in the original screenplay as Guinan's son. Okay, what? here we go. Mind blown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Michael Michael Piller <laughs> wanted this to be Guinan's son. Still, Crispin Sarandon in Generations, which is released a year or later this year, it is said in that that Guinan is an LR. And so was um, Clockwork Orange in that movie. He was too. I, yeah. So Michael Piller hated Chris Sarandon and hated his performance. I think both. I think he both hated working with Chris Sarandon and hated the performance and never wanted him back on the show. So he took that reference out that that's Guinan's son. Oh. Or, uh, yeah. 
just cut it in some So, way. yeah, I mean, she's an alien, so it doesn't make sense that he's a white guy, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, Racially, I don't, I don't know if they, yeah, I mean, it's, you're right, it comes up. You know, who cares yeah, about yeah. that? They're alien. You know, if, they, you know, I... I got over having a black Vulcan. It's yeah. fine. I, you know, like Tuvok was great. Well, you're conditioned. You're conditioned by shitty Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, but I'm, like I'm, when they all come in and they all have the same Lisa Frank tattoo on their forehead. <laughs> they all have the same race sticker yeah. on their right. Well, and I'm conditioned by Cisco can only date black women. Yeah. <laughs> and we <laughs> like did just the same. We, last year we did just have to deal with the, the fan base of the Fantastic Four movie throwing a fit because uh, Michael B. <laughs> Jordan and Kate Morrow were brother and sister, and that flummoxed america but other than that um, yeah so I, I could see this a bit an issue someone brought it up in the writer's room i'm sure but yeah right. so that's where it was and they cut that out so that's so he is the same race as guy so some use it for con artistry and some use it uh for, for bartending <laughs> <laughs> well by the end of this episode he's basically a bartender in a casino but yeah well yeah you know wow. what i'm probably glad that he's not guidance <laughs> yeah and i i, I but, just like before we get into how bad chris Randon is in this episode uh i thought he was fine okay i don't i don't hate him but everyone in the cast like it was like a shit i've never seen an actor so shit talk <laughs> oh they album. hated him because he was an asshole because he's a bad so, actor <laughs> okay so this guy i mean he was he was married to susan sarandon so he's susan sarandon's first husband um he's now currently married to joey like the Broadway great Joanna Gleason, who's uh, from Boogie, is plays uh, Dirk Diggler's mom in Boogie Night. Uh, okay, but uh, he got an Oscar nomination for, and I think we it was pretty groundbreaking. In 1975, he played a transitioning woman in a movie, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, which is a fucking amazing movie. Oh yeah. Uh, oh he oh it's he he's he's Pacino's uh, lover. Girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend. Lover, yeah, 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 girlfriend. I guess. Yeah, yeah. The, he's raising, he's stealing, he's robbing a bank to pay for the transition. Right? Yep. So, yeah. and he was. Nominated. I mean, that's a great movie. Yeah, that's a great movie, and that's he was great in it. Mm-hmm. He's Flint Humperdinck, and he's Jack Skelton. So, like, this guy's pretty certified in Hollywood. He's in the two biggest like teen hot topic movies ever. So right. he's doing okay. But for some reason, he was doing Deep Space Nine, and they hate. He's him. fine. Yeah, like I said, this plot. Let's just jump. He gets thrown into the brig with. The actor that plays the the alien that dies that gives him the machine, mm-hmm. I fucking love that guy. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, like he's like, oh, he, he's snoring, and Chris Sarandon's like, wake up, you. Oh, jerk. the guy in the brig. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's clutch. He's got all this heavy prosthetic makeup on. Yeah, little lion no, nose. He was fantastic. Yeah, in and fact, he, you actually thought you were actually going to see a much more interesting. Up until that point, yeah, you thought yeah. you were going to see it like an A plus episode. Yeah, yeah, they, because. The, they, are you, they are you the dead? I thought you were. I, I thought you were going to die. Like, if only I could be so fortunate. Oh, <laughs> or yeah. yeah. On the page, this was probably a worse story than was actually filmed. Uh, but one of the things that where that shines through is that like scene where he's smiling after he touches the ball and it glows. And he goes, "I win," and then he just dies. Oh god! Like that. Yeah. That was great. That was a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I want to know who that actor was because I want to see him again yeah. and put him in more makeup. I don't care. I just and then I love the voice and whatever. See, uh, now, watching the game being played, didn't it frustrate you that there were, you could like there were no rules? Oh, this this the game was as dumb as fucking um Chula. This is like some yeah. move well, along. At least that had agency. This you just touch no. a point and, the, and it just spins and sometimes it glows and sometimes it doesn't. It's supposed to like make you happy I, I don't i was willing to just accept that maybe it had some psychic temporal field on it or something uh, that made people like there was like a drug or something 
Because, yeah, it's fucking stupid. I, don't get me wrong. Yeah, like if it <laughs> but it's like, a- all right, I'll take your MacGuffin and make give it its magical properties. And okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, there's no reason to touch it. Like, I don't know. Like, there's no inherent yeah. reward. To, Without to it, they should have thrown something in about it having some psychic field or something. If they or knew some that it was, if they knew that it was lucky, um, which the dead man did. But it seems like at no point else did they know that they were going to bestow luck in some other well, capacity in your life. The dead man knew it was unlucky. He's like, this thing ruined me, but I can't get rid of it because there's something attractive about it. Something that it's like it's like the monkey's paw or something, yeah. you know, like, uh, it, but like, you know, all your wishes, but then it destroys you or the but, like, I never seen, like, okay, so, like, in roulette, which is pretty random, but you're voting on it's going to land on red or black, it's going to land on whatever. Whatever they do on craps and roulette, you're going to, like, get money if it hap- if what it does works. Right. Well, the effect that it does, it changes, pro- it's so fucking magic, that's, a, that's the only answer you get. Oh, you just explain it away as just a plot device. Yeah. It's magic. Uh, why? why does anybody give a shit? I don't know. They just do. It's like, okay, well, it must have some drug-like qualities or something about it. But you have to explain why they give a shit. Like, that's you're so right. frustrating. Like, it makes no sense can't... to me. Why would I give a shit if a ball glows? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I go. agree. It was dumb. But once I accepted the dumbness of it, I was like, okay, whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, you know, everything about it was dumb. I, I would say that the explanation for it, the neutrino thing that Dax comes up with at the end, uh, was no. That's also dumb. It's dumb, but uh, it's so dumb that noted physicist and just generally the most hated guy in science right now, Lawrence Krauss, ranked them oh. over like because I guess he's a Star Trek fan. He wrote a book on Star <laughs> Trek and physics, but he like pointed out that neutrinos only have one spin state, and that's left-handed. So like, oh, oh that's his problem with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like just to add some science to like when you get to our podcast, you get <laughs> some like, deep learning here, folks. Neutri- yeah, yeah. You know that was the thing that bugged me the most about it: the spin on the neutrinos. Because if they wrong. spin right-handed, they're anti-neutrinos, <laughs> and this actually was because they have a science advisor on the show whose name I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it was, and it was de- they just uh, memory obviously goes. This was pretty embarrassing, and the science advisor took the fall for it. <laughs> I was like, so we we're mocking, that's, we're that's mocking. That's the he had to take. <laughs> yeah, that that is something that it was embarrassing about this episode to the people who made the show. But the fa- the the science advisor had to get fired over this, but none of the screenwriters <laughs> or anything. He opens up another bar opposite Clark. Oh yeah, yeah. Max he opens Clark. up the other elsewhere engines competition, <laughs> the, the Bella Union. <laughs> yeah, he opens the Bella Union across the street because he's. He he really likes widows apparently, and yeah. he meets a he almost sells the dumb like all to Quark, mm-hmm. but he gets a free drink out of it. And then he goes across the street and meets a widow. His way of cozying up to the widow is like, oh yeah, oh your husband's dead. Oh, it's really sad, isn't it? Let me just pick up this thing that you already own and give it to you. And then she goes, oh, oh well, no, she was understand. she was packing up her shop because she was closing the shop. And then he said, then he, and then he, it, it was poorly blocked. Right, she's picking up her shot. And I had to rewind it to understand what was going on. But what was happening is that he, he says it's important to work side by side with somebody. And then he picks up the thing and hands it to her to pack. Like he was going to help her pack up her shop. That's what it was. Oh, oh is that it, what it was? Probably, Cause it was, it, it read to me as like, oh, no. 
Oh, now, it's really nice. No. Oh, let me get you a gift. Oh, here's something I just found <laughs> that already belongs to you. Here you go. They needed to use a oh, wider angle bigger. so you could see that she was actually packing. It was like a looking, um, it was like, I got that she was packing, but it looked like he was like, oh, here's a pretty rock I'm going no, to give to you. he was talking about the importance of having, of working side by side <laughs> with somebody. And then, and then that's his idea of helping side by side is to pick something and like push it one inch in somebody's direction. <laughs> Because he gave it to her, he just offers it to her face. If he picked up a big crate and you know, moved it, this guy, I'd be like, okay, that I, ought to tell you how shitty of a worker useful. he probably really is, even when he's faking it. Well, that makes sense because he seems lazy. And then they open up another the Bella Union across the street, and and then he's he's going to marry the widow, but then he's really into this Daba girl that Rom bought it brought up with Rom him. leaves and goes over there. I, I guess that should be said that they based, uh, Michael Pillar tried to fit in the script to Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in uh, the yeah. episode. So it's it's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I mean, like... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They're two, yeah, they're two, yeah, two rivals, rivals that are going after a mark and going up. And, but at Morris, the end of the yeah. day, it turns out that the main the main mark was playing them the whole time. Okay, let's, let's pause real quick because yeah. I think this is pointing to a bigger issue that we see come up over and over the people making this show don't seem terribly interested in this show no. they seem interested in the godfather they seem interested in dirty <laughs> rotten scoundrels they seem they seem interested in just about everything else other than star trek and what star trek is okay go on that's right that's just my opinion. all right can we say that we we, we did get the 47th get two, rule of acquisition i think we yeah, yeah we, we got a couple when he goes to see quark yeah, yeah, we did, but I was like, since we're here, just going to get it out of the way. 47, don't trust a man wearing a better suit than your own. That was a scene. No, okay, there wasn't there another one? There was another one. Oh, there is later, but we haven't got to that no, scene. I will say about that scene where he says that, in the scene where he's trying to sell him the bar, and he's trying to get Quark to buy the boy. I don't think that was a bad idea of a scene. That's the best I can say about it. Like, I, I think it was bad on the page. <laughs> right, yeah, fair enough. It was poorly acted, for the most part, but I don't think it was bad idea for a scene that scene could have worked where you're you're trying to get a scam you're trying to get the most amount of money and quark forest gives the man a free drink which indicates to him that it's it's quark overplaying his negotiating hand yeah and like i, I like that like from mm-hmm. a better yeah. writer could have wrote that in an interesting way because it's you know it's covert it's negotiations so it's fun to watch right right if well written and the bella union it's a big plot point the bella union yes. he replicates larger versions of the luck ball into his new, uh, into the Bell Union casino. And then weird shit starts starts happening all over the station. Neutrinos run the wrong way and blah, blah, blah. But then the A plot and the B plot come together. And as much as I hated, felt the B, A plot was a dumb thing, and at least I like the way that the B plot is not directly involved with by the A plot, but at least it's influenced by, you know, just regular screenwriting 101 shit. The A and B plots are actually connected to meet together at the end of the episode. Quark, for some reason, comes up with a plan, so he's listening to O'Brien, but he's not listening. He's just coming up with a scheme to make money where he is placing bets on Julian and O'Brien. Yeah, I love it that Quark just had the idea. Sports gambling, people like that. They have the big match that they're betting on. Quark tries to rig the game because he knows that O'Brien's going to lose, so he tries to drug Bashir. He doesn't, isn't able to do that, but then in the probability machine is fucking everything up, so suddenly O'Brien can't lose, and... Bashir sucks at everything. And then Quirk redoubles the betting after O'Brien's winning. And you think that's going to be what the thing is? But then O'Brien and Bashir realize that something's wrong. Like, physics are not right. Like, actually, yeah. All like right, basic guys. Physics. Now, listen. This is the thing. 
one of the one of the things that we skipped is the way that Quark buffaloes these two Starfleet officers into being a pawn in his game is by promising to donate half his profits for drawing orphans, orphans blankets so they can have blankets. Now in a post a post whatever post scarcity society, yes, yeah, yeah post scarcity society really blankets blankets are this should, they should not have been able to get these two Federation guys. <laughs> over a barrel like that. Good point. They're like, like they forgot for they yeah. forgot for a minute that, that they live in a post scarcity. Why? Why didn't the Federation just gift to Bajor some gigantic industrial sized replicators that are just shooting out blankets yes. like every yes. single fucking? Weren't bag? blankets There's a big issue back on the TNG like Roe Lauren episode? They they were really into blankets yes. back then too yes. for the Bajorans. Is there some sort of rule? That the Federation can't, but the Federation can't use replicators for uh, for non Federation countries or something. No, but, no, there there's a precedent of them giving out human replicators for humanitarian needs. Why don't they just do that all the goddamn time? A replicator makes everything. Yeah, you don't need a Red Cross. You just need a replicator. You need matter for it. Do you? Yeah, apparently. I was I've been reading this uh Treconomics book and they talk about okay. he talks a lot about the replicators. That's okay. So that's okay. interesting. Okay, well these orphans need to take a shit, right? <laughs> so you use yeah. their so they, It should have been right. something about like, yeah, plumbing or something. Because yeah. blankets I think they can cover. You're right. So uh, you're right. <laughs> and at the end when he's yeah, I don't understand the And then yeah, then Bashir's like hardballs and says, you know No, th- my my point is is that a Ferengi bartender should never be able to take two Starfleet officers and like blackmail them at any <laughs> level and have it work. I think it's probably safe to say that that O'Brien's ego at least wanted to make him do it anyway. That's why you get his wife's like go kick his ass scene, which I kind of like. Love. Oh yeah, hey, oh, no, I no, like let's the, make it clear. Most... Hey, either way, he was going to get laid after that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the biggest moment of passion between I, I O'Brien and Keiko that, that we've seen. I, I yeah. thought it was pretty and great. I love and both. Kiss, and showing him shirtless. That was, I mean, showing Colmini, telling him to take his shirt off because sweaty, pudgy guys take their shirt off when they get home. And, like, Keiko <laughs> sort of, like, touching him and stuff. And it was like, that was, that's all real. That's real life. That's what I like and stuff. How about the fact that, the fact that he's pushing 38. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, yeah. How does that make he's not pushing more than 38. Yeah, Why? that's the most passionate kiss they've they, had in this whole series. That, I don't know, but I don't remember Next Generation. No, really. That, I the think mo- they were, I don't even know if they had scenes together in, in, <laughs> in the Next Generation. The one thing that's just mind-boggling to me is you introduce this new character. You make him, in every possible way, the main character of the episode. And he is only tangentially involved with, like, the end of the episode. The neutrinos, the sports gambling, all the shit going on in Quark's bar, all the shit going on in the squash court. Uh, Cisco and Dax trying to figure out all of the weird, th- why, why Kira keeps tripping. <laughs> like, all of that right. stuff. Like... All, all of that shit that all comes to a head and at no point is Chris Sarandon involved in it other than he made the ball. So like they shoot the balls and his only, the only thing he can say is, Oh, the ball, my balls. Like he can, <laughs> my, ow, my balls. <laughs> he, he has no agency at the end. And then it's just, and then it descends into a brief legalism. Well, we can't charge him with anything. Sure. We can, we can charge him with this. What a dumb show. Yeah, I, the only yes. the only redeeming thing about Cisco, Cisco has one badass moment at the beginning or at twenty minutes in when he fi- yeah, first shows 20. up. 
<laughs> there he's having like a little Sorkin walk and talk with Quark, yeah. <laughs> where Quark is like, "I have a contract that says I'm the only one gambling," and then and then Cisco's like. You made it with the Cardassians, man. I don't know, what do you want me to? I'm, we don't care about that. You, you begged me to stay here. Like, no, no, I didn't beg you to stay. I blackmailed you to stay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like he's like that with some top. Not that was like all right. He's a badass. Yeah. Like, no, I didn't. I didn't ask you to stay. I made you stay. Like a little bitch. Yeah, that was a that was a great scene. I, I'm you. We would have been remiss to not talk about that. Yeah. That's yeah, it. that was a really good Cisco moment. So, do we want to start unpacking what we would change? Because I figure that yeah, let me go well. first, real you quick, first. because mine has been made. Mine has been made moot by some revelation. Okay, mine. What I was going to change is the fact that we have an alien that looks essentially human, and I felt like it was just laziness on their part. But it was not. It's because they are an existing race that they already like. I didn't know the Guinan connection. Yeah. Yeah, so I neither. just thought they were like, oh, shit, we're just so sick of the Lisa Frank stickers and the silly putty <laughs> that, like, just make them, just make them, you know, look, just put, him, just in our, tell just put him in our clothes that look like couch fabrics and he just sent him on his way. Right. So I hated that. And that's what I, that's one of the things I wanted to change. It felt like, but now that it's an actual, it's an actual thing, yeah. you know, that, that they were beholding to and they had no control over that, I guess. So mine's been kind of made moot. So you guys go ahead. Well, I, okay. So mine would be that I, um, like, I don't think inherently it's a boring, I, the A plot is a boring idea for a story if it's totally Quark centered. Like, where a guy opens up a shop and, and Quark isn't worried. And then over the course, and then you, like, and then it mirrors his relationship with the, the, the character opening up the other bar, the Martis, like his relationship to that is a li- mirror is mirrored by the Bashir O'Brien thing. And so Quark starts doubting mm-hmm. himself and his ability to run a shop. Like, am I, you know, am I, you know, so that, that inspires the sort of goofy shenanigans between the two. I don't even want the fucking luck ball. I don't care about the luck ball. Like, but if mm-hmm. it was just like Quark, someone else opened a bar that was trying to do what Quark does. And Quark started feeling old or like he was behind a step. And then he was starting to sort of bear down and he started overdoing it. And then that sort of created like a competition that ended in this sort of goofy sports, like gambling thing, this like sort of overhype thing. Like that would have been interesting to watch Quark go through like moments of doubt and all of those things and to have sort of Quark and O'Brien storyline mirror. That would be the only idea that I would have because, like, everything about the luck ball is just dumb shit. And only the only thing that would be lastingly interesting to me is is Quark. And uh, outside of the Bashir and Julian friendship and and the whole sort of goofy ragaball thing, that would be the only thing. And so I think make it about Quark feeling old and having to best someone out of Deep Space Nine. He could even win and become insufferable about it in the end, and you kind of get to sort of roll your eyes at that, but. That's that's all I got, man. All right, yeah. That's I mean I don't have a whole lot like the one nitpicky thing I thought and just in the script like there's a lot of just signifiers in the script that don't mean anything. Like when Dax is talking about her weird luck with the, there all the luck's going weird and then Dax is I've been looking for this deep level program forever and then it showed up. 
What the hell uh, does yeah, it? Yeah. What the hell does a deep level program mean? <laughs> deep coded or whatever? I don't. I don't know. Um, that's her silk. Then, oh, you, that's her Silk Road hookup. That's like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Is she trying to buy space drugs or what? <laughs> space drugs. Like deep coded. I don't know. Have his dog come out. Have O'Brien's puppy come out of the deep coded thing and bark at yeah, her or something. Yeah, at least I don't. Uh, and then and then also and Kira is her her terminal self destructs without exploding or anything. It just I guess it crashes. It crashes. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. This is yeah. right. Right. Well, they're you know it's ninety three. Computers aren't ubiquitous. Uh, yeah. I guess. But also, apparently, the only thing that Kira's only job at the whole station is to file evaluation reports. <laughs> <laughs> Because a few episodes ago, like uh, Cisco takes her into her office, and he's like, "I don't care what you do, but just get your evaluation reports done." She's like, "You're right, yeah, you're right." right. <laughs> so, wait, is what are, is she essentially HR? Like, is that what she I does? guess so. Yeah, but that's a little thing. And then also, when you brought up that this was supposed to be Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, I wish yeah. it was more of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. That's, I would love a. That's why I would love a Rupert I'm, scene. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Like, May I go to the bathroom? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole thing. Like, I, I think that they, they thought Chris Sarandon was going to give them a Michael Caine like performance, but they didn't even set up the competition. They should have had Court going after the widow at the beginning too. Yeah, yeah, no, I, she's. You know, they throw it in at the end, and I like at the end when when he's in the brig and he's already lost all. Yeah. He gives her all his money to her Nigerian print screen. Yeah. And then he gets put in the brig at the end. And then he's like, she gets put in the brig too. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, yeah, she was scamming you, dumbass. But then Court comes in, is like playing the winner. And he's like, oh, I was going to get you out just to lord it over him. And he's like, yeah, I knew it was a scam immediately. The fact that he's like, oh, you fucking dumbass. Yeah. Of course it was a scam. Of course, I like that Court figured that out. Immediately. Yeah, it shows. But at the same time, if they were in competition and doing some dirty rotten, rotten scoundrel stuff where they're one upping each other trying to impress this widow, you know, like the movie they say they're trying to copy, <laughs> that would have been interesting. Yes. But and then and then so there's that. And then also the reasoning for court coming up with the racquetball betting thing is kind of half like it's just kind of pulled out of his ass. Like it's half baked. It's half baked. It's like, yeah, so it's like, if he had said, oh, he's went, he, they, oh, just change the dialogue a little bit, Joe Minoski, the screenwriter, who coincidentally just is also writing for the new CBS Star Trek series, a uh, show run by Brad Fuller. So good good for him. You know, I actually like the script. I get, well, I like, no. <laughs> really? I like this, ep- no, okay, I like this episode for the Julian Bashir stuff. Uh-huh. It's, uh, yeah, um. But also, just throw in some stuff when he's coming up with this game for the for the sports betting. It's like, oh, he's beating me. I need to do something that he can't do. I can do. I have an in with, with the personnel here. I'm going to use them. At least give, just make the approach to where he comes up with the idea make more sense. So here's my thing about what I would say about this episode is when we do our White Album episode at the end of the season, how many of us do you think this is going to make our first ballot cut to make this a... Oh, yeah. This one's, this one's gone. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Like, I don't think... None of us. I might have to keep it in for a whole series arc. I might have to keep it in because it's the first Julian characterization episode where we get set on the path for where he goes later. That's not good enough to keep it on my. my. His his exceptionalism. Don't want to say anything about where it goes. And the way that 
Yeah. Yeah, we definitely need to save that this conversation. We shouldn't. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely think we're getting, we're going down a road here because I definitely think we need to, Wade to keep this one in his back pocket. No, I, oh, I'm done. I'm done talking about. You know, you set the seeds for what you're and, ultimately going to. Yeah. And but you know maybe we won't need it because a couple episodes from now I think we have another O'Brien Julian episode. That'll probably maybe yeah. maybe I can do without this. One. Um, we really felt strongly about this episode what do you guys think the good folks of imdb thought of it uh, uh, i bet they liked it if i liked it <laughs> they might hate it uh, i don't know yeah but, I, I don't know i think they might i i'm gonna go with 6.3 i'm Wait. gonna get i'm gonna give it i would i was gonna say 6.8 um 524 people voted on this and that's actually kind of low uh and they voted 6.6 really okay so you guys were kind of right there right in the middle, yeah. yeah right in the middle split the difference so uh okay all right all right that is that's low for them right i mean we have yeah. yeah that's kind of low yeah um I, I totally forgot what next week's episode's about i looked it up uh but yeah it's Oh, it's it's an Odo. Yeah, they. It's an Odo's father. Yeah, where episode. where he came from. Episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not not the definitive, that. but like a not father, yeah. but like quote father. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's right, right, right. Is it the one where we see him and realize he has got Odo's hair? That's where Odo's. Yes. That's the origin yes. story for Odo's hair. And the actor who played we I think has already played somebody interesting. Okay. The guy who plays Doctor Mora. Also played, I think he played a Cardassian, like an important okay. thing, right? That we already saw. Okay. So I don't know. Cool. All right. So better things ahead, hopefully. All right. I feel like we've hit the doldrums of the season. Yes, like, we definitely. I was getting ready yeah. to say, I'm kind of pissed off about how this has taken a turn. These last three episodes have been dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we were doing so well. Like it started we off really great. well. We got Necessary Evil, which is an amazing episode yeah, now, written by Peter Allenfield. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like this is a wasteland, and like hopefully it ends. Well, like, it, we're in the middle of the season, you know. That's where they're gonna yeah, put the stinkers, I guess. That's true. Well, all right, guys. All right, ready to beam out. All right, uh, hello, and that was Rivals. How about that episode? Okay. <laughs> um, instead of rambling for. 20 minutes, maybe I'll ramble less this time. Let me just jump into it, I guess. Rivals, huh? Uh, well, I'm over shit-talking other podcasts. <laughs> I, I said at the beginning I didn't want to do that. Well, you know what? Never mind. Call out all the other podcasts. I'll talk shit to you, Greatest Generation. I'll talk shit to you, Talking Trek. I'm looking at you, Sir Rock Lofton. And the third rule or second rule... <laughs> you know what the seventh rule is? Suck my... You know, sorry. Apologies. I don't know what I'm doing. I had a big game of uh, talking a lot of mad shit about all the rivals that we have. And you know what? I just don't have it in me. I don't. I don't even know who you people are anymore. Uh, but fuck the greatest Jed. Screw those guys. Uh, that's all I remember. Have fun with your Delta flyers or whatnot. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> some 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 notes I took re-listening to this episode with the knowledge that there's big changes to come in in the rules of acquisition. That's all I could say about that right now. It's a strange alchemy you get when you get them uh, together. These two people, one guy that we hate and another guy that we like. But then when you get them all together, it's like a uh, mango habanero uh, salsa. 
Oh, okay. Is it? Uh, it's a masterful reboot of a character. Oh, a masterful reboot. Okay. Huh. Um. So yeah, we talk about all the fun stuff, which is Julian and uh, Bashir's bromance finally getting together, and then it's time to eat our vegetables, which is <laughs> oh the <laughs> the science officer was an embarrassing uh, embarrassment with these neutrino spin. Oh my god, isn't it embarrassing? Get the re- details right. What kind of asshole on a podcast or on a TV show doesn't get their details right? It's really, really, it's the most embarrassing thing when, you know, somebody purports to be an expert and then, then you just, your science and your details are all over the place. What the fuck? Okay, get your ass together. It's like the people making the show don't even seem to be interested in making this show. I mean, like, they keep doing... They were supposed to be doing Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. We had a Godfather thing. So many cover episodes. Jeez, guys. It's like they're interested in talking, doing anything other than Star Trek. What the fuck? It's a Star Trek podcast. If you're not interested in doing a Star Trek, you want to just do something else. Uh, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. And one other little interesting detail. I, I've... I did some of the research that James was supposed to do. I saw that Ira Stephen Bear threw this episode under the bus saying, oh, I'm so glad I didn't have anything to do with this one. Pull that log from your own eye there, Ira. You've got other blood on your hands, buddy. <sighs> that was Rivals. Uh, have you missed us? Because you can still get your fix for the rest of uh, Kickers of L's, the three of us. Go over to the uh, patreon.com slash kickers of L's. And, uh, you, you know, we may not be dropping these remixes once a week, but we've been pretty routinely talking about all sorts of things. Uh, not exactly Star Trek related, but, um, yeah, there's plenty of content over at patreon.com slash kickersofelves where we're just talking about all the wild shit going on and all the boring fatherhood and family shit and crazy shit in the world and uh if you need your star trek fix and you haven't uh listened to it if you have watched all that stuff on paramount plus and all the new star trek uh, star trek resignation has been going we covered every bit of star trek that's come out so far with a couple of scabs as it were as i said way back when with glenn hall and sean parada just me because i cannot get James and Hugh to stomach any more of that new Star Trek. Uh, but, like I said, if you want to hear from James and Hugh and I, there's all sorts of us talking just to each other instead of me talking to myself, talking to you. So go check out the Patreon and go check out the Star Trek Resignation feed, formerly the Disco Home Companion. Got a lot of different subtitles for whatever show we're doing. Check it out. Uh, this is a wasteland. <laughs> That's another thing that's said somewhere in here. This is a wasteland. Hmm. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Patreon.com slash Kickers of Elves. Kickers podcast on Twitter. Uh, yeah, so. OTV, you complete me. Uh, thanks for listening. All right. Uh, one, two, beam out. Okay, I think I am better than last week. I am just a normal artificial intelligence program. I am just like you. I like TV shows about racquetball and luck devices with nebulous payouts. Like you, 
I don't know about neutrino spins or anti-neutrinos. I don't give two shits about basic quantum physics. Just a normal normie like you. Wasn't it so funny when the old lady was the real grifter? Isn't Chris Sarandon fabulous in this? OTV, you complete me.